Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. So thank you so much for tuning in again to Growth Island. So this episode is one that I've really been looking forward to for several months, actually. It is with a close friend, a wonderful individual. And the first time I met him was in Finland. And you know, once in a while, you just meet people that you instantly click with. You're like, this is a person that I want in my life for more than just this conversation. So um, this guy, I actually got involved in one of the companies that we are building at the Kring. So I got him involved as an advisor in William. And... Uh, he is a person that I'm learning from and have some of the bigger conversations about life with as well, like the honest conversations about some of the tough things and what do you really want to do and where do you go? And then he runs this really successful podcast called Decoding Superhuman, which is a podcast you definitely need to go check out. I'll make sure to put a link in the show note. He interviews awesome people on how do you become the best version of yourself. I'll let him introduce that a little bit more afterwards. And he knows a shitload sorry my language about health he uh, is part of the, uh, the organization home hope which i'll let him explain a little bit more about but it's basically about educating people about optimal health he also uh, works with the company transcriptions which i'll also let him get more into but that is super interesting about how to get the optimal performance and being as sharp as you can some people call it nootropics but i'll let him get further into that and then he looks more fit than I've ever seen him before. So I think I caught him at the right time for, for this interview. And it is, of course, Boomer Anderson. Boomer, thank you so much for coming on. Mads, you're making me blush, man. This is, uh, you know, it's always good to catch up with you. And sometimes it's best to click record on these conversations because I know we've been wanting to do it for a while. Yes. Yeah, so I always enjoy our conversation and I really enjoyed the episode that uh, we were doing on your podcast as well with Dasha. Mm -hmm. So, um, and being part of the little health group that are nerdy about things, not only health related, but also uh, life related. Yeah, amen, man. Uh, you know, social community has become such an important thing for me and having you and Dasha in my life is, is a great, great, great blessing. Thanks. Let's feel the same way. So, Boomer, I gave a short introduction to you, but you have a longer history. You also used to be a badass uh, banker. Tell me a little bit about uh, your story into health and uh, your background from going from being a, a real hardcore business person, working all the time, to now actually helping people get, get their health back. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's a funny question. Badass banker, that's, that's a generous term. So, you know, Mads, I, I've been obsessed with the idea of how to get the most out of life since I was a young age. You know, it's funny because if you look at my parents, I, uh, I was son of a yoga teacher and an operations manager. And think of an operations manager in finance terms as doing the shit that nobody else likes to do. Uh, and so on the one hand, I was exposed to stock tickers at a very young age. On the other hand, I had this, this mother who I'd come home and she was staring at the wall and breathing. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, but I, from a young age, knew that there was this sort of mind-body connection well before we got into any sort of discussions about the vagus nerve or mm. whatever the hell that was. And so, you know, naturally, as I progressed through education, I, I wanted to push it as far as I could. 
And in 2008, or at least shortly before I joined the bank, uh, you went into investment banking if you wanted to push your mental performance as much as you could. Uh, it was either investment banking or entrepreneurship. And at the time, investment banking uh, appealed to me most. You know, uh, my first day was September 15, 2008. And I, that was the day that AIG got nationalized and Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. So <laughs> you can say it was a bit of an eerie time to start in finance, but I loved it. I went from New York to Singapore, where at the young age of 25, 26, actually, I became head of this financing desk. And, you know, I had to push my body to its absolute limits. We're talking in every stereotype you hear about investment banking in this case was true. Uh, you know, four to six hours of sleep, I averaged from the age of 18 to 30. And then um, I love CrossFit. Yeah, and shitloads of CrossFit, right? And at the time, I wasn't really working out intelligently. It was just sort of like, okay, I enjoy this thing called CrossFit. And I had this reverberating theme in my life of sort of needing competition. It's why I went into finance. It's just I needed to be the first on the leaderboard in everything that I did. The problem is, is that when you push um, to be the first on the leaderboard in something like a CrossFit, as well as on the first on the leaderboard in something that's naturally stressful like finance, there's something that eventually gives. And that, in my case, was my nervous system. And so when your nervous system breaks, a lot of bad shit can happen. And I was lucky enough to catch it because during this time, this is actually around you know, pre biohacking days, but like mm. I was very into quantified self with that goal of sort of, uh, you know, the selfish goal of looking good naked, but also just being able to work harder and sleep less. Um, and, you know, all of that kind of came to fruition around my 30th birthday. And I, I said like, Hey, I'm done with this banking thing. I was pretty good at what I did, but I didn't want to be doing it for the next 30 years. Decided to quit my job. And on the way out the door, I go in and uh, get my, my heart scan and find out that I have a heart condition. And so this is a very long winded answer to your question that basically in unpeeling that heart condition and just sort of trying to figure out what went into that uh, heart condition, I moved to Europe. So I completely changed my environment. I came up with a fairly data driven and analytical approach to that heart condition. And in that process, I never intended to become a coach or consultant or anything like that. Uh, in that process, uh, two things happened. One, I needed to figure out how to talk to all the experts in the world uh, about this at the cheapest rate possible because I was doing it out of my own savings. And two, I had former colleagues that were like, hey, you can do this for me. Um, number two was how the health consulting business got built. But number one, or how it actually started. And number one was actually how the podcast started. Because if you give anybody a platform to talk about something, they're happy to talk about it. And so a podcast to me was a selfish way to ask a whole bunch of questions. Um, so that became Decoding Superhuman, which today we just released our 180th episode. And Congratulations. Then, thank you. It's, it's been so much fun and, you know, conversations like this one, the one mm -hmm. that you and I are having right now, just absolutely light me up. And it's, it's just interesting to be on the other side of the microphone now. Um, and so, you know, got into that and over the course of the podcast actually was when I met, um, you know, Ted and, and Scott and these guys and got involved in transcriptions and home hope, which I can certainly talk about as well. So that's a very long winded answer to say that health has always been a part of my life and that it just became the main part of my life at a 
slightly later age. Mm-hmm. And so where are you now with the heart condition? Uh, I'm, you know, from a objective perspective, like you can look at me right now from the outside and say, I'm pre- doing pretty damn good. From the inside, I'm doing much, much better. And so uh, just to explain to everybody, you know, what the heart condition was. Essentially, if you look at your heart and kind of put sort of a, a four-fingered I'm not sure if people are going to watch this on video, but you put four fingers over it, you have four arteries, one of which is the left interior descending artery, which is codenamed the Widowmaker. And so at the age of 30, I had a, a coronary artery calcium score, so it's a, a CAT score, if you will. And I had calcium found in my left interior descending artery. Now, if you know anything about calcium, it grows at a rate of about 20% plus a year if you knew nothing. So I've proactively done something and it hasn't grown. So that in itself is progress. Now, if you look at every other statistic of vitality and longevity, you know, my biological age is younger than my chronological age. I'm 34 chronologically, I'm 29 biologically. And every marker of potential harm, if you will, has gone down. So I'm doing pretty good, Mads. I'm pretty happy. That's good to hear. And you also look great, Boomer. Thank you, sir. As I, as I said as well, when the, when you first got in the camera, I asked you whether you've been working out a bit more or what happened. So uh, so something is definitely working. Yeah. It's um it's sunlight and a lot of these gadgets that we're going to be talking about today. Yes, you definitely have a lot for gadgets just like I do. Yeah. So in this this entire journey of getting back to health, like what have been some some main things for you to to get back to your health? Yeah, so initially it's discovery, right? Because um, what happens when somebody tells you something like this? People either freeze or and go, continue going down the path that they were, or they make a right turn and try and do something different. I very much made an abrupt right turn and almost tried a U-turn, if you will. And so there was a lot of discovery around it. And so at first it was just sort of, okay, is my diet right? Is my exercise right? And is this, there, there's so much stuff that could potentially go into uh, was cardiovascular disease that, you know, it, it's, it's a, not a burden, that's the wrong word, but it's it's very hard to just pinpoint to one thing. And so a lot of this in this discovery process was like, okay, what actually is the Archimedes lever, if you will, to not only fixing this heart condition, but also causing me to perform at my absolute best? Because I didn't just want to like sit on a couch and do nothing all day long. That, that seems like death to me. Um, mm. In fact, you know, that would just be laziness. But I wanted to perform better than I ever had before. And so when I started diving into it, you know, there, you kind of look at health eventually as a complex system. You have things like movement, you have things like um, nutrition, sleep, stress, and a whole bunch of others. And so as I kind of went into this, at first, it was very clear that like, hey, sleep is a focus area, right? Because I was sleeping for, you know, between four and six hours a night for 12, 12 years. No, that's not good. No. And so that's just like, hey, dumbass, you just need to do something differently there. And so, okay, emphasizing on sleep, good. So back um, then, Boomer, how did you feel about that sleep? Because I meet people that are like, yeah, I only need four to six hours of sleep. And they, for them, it seems true. And they're like, yeah, I drink a big of coffee, but I can go without coffee, but I don't, I'm not addicted, but 
I probably drink a few cups of coffee each day. Yeah. Um, for most of those people, I would warn you, you're probably lying to yourself. I oftentimes have said it's a crock of shit because um, there are very few people. In fact, it's less than 3% of people in the world that can survive or thrive is probably the better use of words on less than six hours of sleep a night. And there's actually a gene called DEC2, which if you've ever had a genetics test, you can look into that. Uh, but And does that actually tell whether you are part of those 3%? Yeah. And so if you were to get your genetic sequenced, you can get a DEC2 variant, a DEC2. And there's, I, I've yet to, I've done numerous genetic sequencings and I've yet to meet anybody who's had this. But the theory behind that gene is that you go through your sleep cycles faster and you can get away with something less than six hours of sleep per night. Now, if you look at the average I'm from the United States, in case you can't tell by the accent, uh, the average American gets close to that on average, right? And so you have a, a nation of sleep deprivation. We have this global sleep crisis. And all of us seem to think that we can get away with less than six hours of sleep a night. And my favorite study about this, by the way, is one where they compared sleep uh, deprivation to alcohol. And they basically had somebody uh, who had two hours of sleep de deprivation uh, consume about two beers, and they actually managed to map the brain waves, and they're similar. If you pull an all-nighter, it's the equivalent to being drunk. And so if you look at, uh, particularly in the United States, which is where I know these statistics, um, sleep deprivation-induced car accidents is a very, very high, it's a very risky category and it has a high frequency. So sleep was one area that I, I focused on and I'm happily improving. And we can talk about how I, I focused on that. But also, and I think the biggest one, it took me a while to actually acknowledge this, was stress and particular anxiety in my case. You know, lifelong history of perfectionism doesn't just go away overnight. And so, you know, working through that and working through both sleep and just sort of, I guess, rebuilding my sleep pattern, because during this time I was living in Singapore, but traveling across time zones, right? Re rebuilding my sleep pattern, rebuilding how I perceive stress has been uh, just such a fascinating and enjoyable journey. And what's been one of the things in how you perceive stress differently today? So there's something called the Yerkes-Dodson law, and I'm going to try and explain this. And this is the first time I've ever done this on the podcast. But if you look at Yerkes-Dodson law, it's like an inverted U, right? And so if you think of the inverted U uh, as sort of if you're at the front part of the U, it's beneficial to you. Um, and if you're at the back end of that inverted U, it becomes more harmful to you. And so there's this is the true with with exercise too, right? And so there's if you have a certain amount of exercise, it's beneficial to you and you kind of climb up that one side of the U. But if you have too much exercise, you fall down the other side of that U. The same is true with, with stress. And so when you look at stress, it can have beneficial aspects in terms of helping you narrow your focus. I mean, we're all starved for attention these days. Like, God forsakes how long are TikTok videos, right? Like you walk through, you watch them and you all of a sudden have a new one. You have a new cat video, whatever you're watching, right? Like your attention, we have roughly the attention span of goldfish. Hmm. And so if you want to introduce a positive stress to enhance focus, 
you can take that to a certain extent. And so positive stress enhancing focus is also known as a flow state. And so we can use stresses to introduce flow states. We can use stresses to help motivate us to do things. And so anytime I, I experience stress now, and this doesn't, I, I try to hit it as much as possible. I, I'm saying, what's the learning here? And what am I focusing my attention on? Because ultimately that stress is caused by you know, an artificial influence causing me to, uh, or causing the grabbing of my attention, if you will. That's a really good point. And also that much stress is psychologically imposed, right? That it's not saying no to things. It's thinking like, if I don't live on this, and then you become stressed. So there's so much we can do mentally. And of course, we need to be in a position and you can also be in a job where it's just, you have a boss that makes it an extremely stressful place, right? Or you're in, yeah. for example, banking or you're in consulting and so on. But but some of it, some of it is really how you perceive it. Yeah, absolutely. So internal perception is a lot of things. Um, yeah. What you just mentioned is something that I was largely a yes man for most of my life. And now I'm you, you'll come to find that I say no more often than yes. And part of that is because of conversations I've had with guys like Greg McEwen, who wrote the book Essentialism, and just mm. sort of trying to protect myself to focus on what is actually beneficial for my given goals. And, you know, we're living in societies full of distraction. So it's very, very important to have those barriers up so that people don't just hog your attention. It is one of the things that I'm working out on as well. I love to help and always get uh, flattered when people reach out to ask for advice and so on. But I also reached a point where I was realizing that whenever I was saying yes to someone, I was saying no to my friends and family. Exactly. And that was kind of the big realization of thinking like, okay, I get three to 10 requests at least a week and I love to be able to help them, but there's just a limit. And it was, it was, it was at the cost of my friends or my time just to exercise or be myself as well. So it's, it's a hard limit. And that's definitely something for me has been a big lesson to also don't feel, feel the need to do as many things. Exactly. And, and you make a very good point. And this is something that our mutual friend Dasha has helped me out with as well as you. And it's just sort of with each yes to a request, there's a diminishing return in terms of the quality that you're able to produce. Hmm. So there's a certain amount of requests that you can actually feel, but and, and you can feel those with quality. Now, at once you get beyond that amount of requests, each additional request actually impacts the very thing that you set out to do in the first place. And so it's the way I've come to view this is it's actually unfair for me to agree to that for that other person. Yes. Uh, but also for myself, because at the end of the day, is it good for me to have 500 things to do or just four? Yeah. And I've come to find that usually the latter is the case. I think, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I see that with a lot of people that I talk to. That seems to be the, the learning after a while. Yeah. So you talk to a bunch of smart people. You test a lot of different biohacks, health optimization, apps and so on. And it can be a bit of a jungle out there. How do you figure out what to test, what not to test, what works and so on? Do you have any kind of criteria? So how do you look at that? So Mads, if it's okay with you, I want to take this kind of down two different paths and we'll try to run them in parallel. So the first, you know, just to identify a path here. 
So path A is a person that has some money to do some background and laboratory testing to understand a little bit more about themselves. Path B is somebody who's just getting started in this, not really convinced that they want to spend money or doesn't have the money to spend. And so with anything, uh, you can see where I'm going here, with any um, sort of gadget or just entering into any sort of lifestyle modification, it's useful to assess where you are in terms of baseline. And so what do I mean by that? If we were to go down path A, so the slightly more expensive part, it's nice to know where you are from a nutrient deficiency perspective. It's nice to know how your gut microbiome health is. It's nice to know where your food sensitivities are because all of these gadgets, gizmos, tools, technologies, foods, diets, whatever it is that are vying for your attention are really just using charismatic people to persuade you to do something that you may not necessarily need to do. So it's nice to have a baseline of information on yourself. And so what does that look like if you have money? Well, it could look like, uh, and this is what I do with my clients, it looks like assessing micronutrient deficiencies. It looks like assessing the composition of my gut microbiome. And it looks like assessing those food sensitivities. Now, let's say you're on down path B and you're saying like, hey, go ahead. And so just a quick question, what kind of tests would you recommend? Because that's the next part. There's so many tests out there, right? I did yeah. the food insensitivity test, the IgG4, which I think Ted recommends or Scott recommends as well. But it, it is a bit of a jungle out there. Like what micronutrition or what microbiome test would you take? Yeah, sure. So um, just going down that wormhole real quick, uh, there's something that's worth looking into in terms of testing called coefficient of variation. And that actually allows you to see how accurate those particular markers are. For instance, vitamin D has a relatively high coefficient of variation, et cetera. But looking at the test that I would, I would go with, you, there's kind of a framework that applies pretty well for investing, actually, but also for looking at tests, looking at best of breed. And so for me, I use the Junova NutriVal, which is one of the best micronutrient deficiency uh, tests out there. I use the GIFX, and I'll come back to that in a second. And I use the similar test that you mentioned, which is the Allergics 90. The GIFX is a three-day stool test. So coming back to the gut microbiome test, if you go poop and you go and swipe your poop right now, is there a chance that you will not have all of the poop out of your body? I don't know about you, but that does happen sometimes, right? Uh, and yes, we're getting down and dirty right now. But you know, in the case of the GIFX, it's a three-day stool test. And so over the course of three days, are you much more likely to get a sense of whether or not there's a parasite in that microbiome, whether or not there are bacterial imbalances, those kind of things. Uh, and so those, that's sort of the way I look at it. And gut testing to me is pretty clear that you want to have a multi-day sample rather mm. than just a single day. With the micronutrient deficiencies, again, it's about looking at quality control and looking to see that, you know, has the lab done external validation? Meaning, do they have something like a CLIA certification? Um, do Are the markers that are promised common biomarkers in other jurisdictions, things like vitamin D? And then is there, you know, is there a large, you, you kind of look at sort of the best of breed. Are there a large number of, people that are reputable in the field using those similar tests. That's sort of the way that I would start getting at testing. And if when in doubt, hire a professional hmm. because it's, it's much cheaper to hire a professional over the long run 
than to try and do it yourself and buy a crappy poop test. <laughs> yep. Okay, so uh, we've gone down the sort of testing route a little bit. Mm. Now let's talk about for the person who doesn't necessarily want to spend money on tests, how do you start to just sort of build a framework for yourself? Essentially, what I'm actually laying out with, whether it become, be, be testing or qualitative testing, is to bring awareness to what you're doing in every single day. And so for a lot of people, they just don't know what, what is going on inside of them. And so to bring awareness can be as easy as getting out a spreadsheet, or you can use some of the surveys that I'm going to mention here. Uh, the Institute of Functional Medicine has a, I believe it's called a multiple symptom questionnaire, which is essentially it's IFM, MSQ, and Mads, I can send you a link for the show notes, but it's a way for you to score your body in terms of the pains and various pains that you're feeling. I still take this once a month to understand just sort of what some of my focus areas may be. I also do all those tests that I mentioned before, but I think it's useful to have both qualitative and quantitative data. Another test that is useful is the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. Most of the people that I've come across have issues with either sleep, stress, or nutrition. And so having some awareness around those three is helpful. And P Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index is probably the best one out there that I've seen in terms of sub subjective sleep quality. I just mentioned nutrition, having some sort of a food diary and just being able to recognize or write down exactly what you're eating, not changing anything, but just recognizing that like, hey, if I can't pronounce the ingredient, there's a chance that it probably shouldn't be in my diet. If it's a preserved food, it probably shouldn't be in my diet. There are basic principles that people can live by in order to uh, assess objectively whether or not they need to focus on their nutrition. And so we, we just talked about a nutrition diary. We talked about a sleep diary um, and we talked about a symptom questionnaire. And then there's an object, there's, I haven't really found a great survey for this, but there's a subjective assessment of stress. And so are you stressed or not? And so what I'm doing here is just kind of give you the high level overview, mm. 10,000 meters, is I'm trying to get a baseline assessment of where I am now. If I were to have a very large data set in a spreadsheet, we could calculate something called eigenvector centrality, which is linear algebra, and that's just calculating the largest node in the network. Uh, but you can really just start to look at, you know, okay, of these subjective surveys, what is the data telling me to focus on? And so once you have that data, you're able to say, based on my own experience, before entering this world, which is very well funded by marketers and charismatic people, hmm. I now have data on myself, which tells me what I need to focus on. And already, you have a filter by which to view the world. I think that's fantastic. That's a really good way of looking at it. And also starting and also I really like the approach of there's so many things you can do that doesn't cost money. Yeah. And so we can go from there. So, yeah. and so let's say you now have data by which to view the world. Let's say for whatever reason, I mean, pick the thing that you want to focus on, Mads. Yeah, so I think another criteria for me is often which you're speaking to indirectly as well is do you have time or money? Yeah. So what, what is your biggest limitation? If you have a job where you are getting paid really well, get out and find that help, pay someone straight away. If you don't have the money, do the groundwork yourself first, and then you'll have less consultations. But 
from my perspective at least, finding a health practitioner that knows their work just like you do. Um, I have a doctor up uh, here in Copenhagen as well that do my test. Someone that can really guide you unless you have the time and energy to like go really, really deep and spend several years on learning it. Then it is really like where you should start. And then yeah. you can look at all of the stuff that you want to optimize afterwards. Um, yeah. How do you trust something is working on? I think that's when you look at a gadget, for example, what, what do you look at for whether like this is something that makes sense to uh, to test? So a lot of people talking about red light, they're talking about blue blockers, they're talking about different supplements, uh, nootropics, yeah, muse, neurofeedback, and so on, right? So let's just say you already have that data set and it can be qualitative or it can be the quantitative data I mentioned. Then I kind of run myself through eight yes or no questions in terms of as these things come in, and I get shown probably a dozen gadgets a week, right? In terms of just ideas, people, and I'm sure you get these emails too, Mads. It's like, oh, try out my latest gadget. But okay, does it, it, now I have identified the area of opportunity that I want to focus on. So does this gadget provide data or a solution to that area of opportunity? are there science or is there scientific studies that back the claims? There are a lot of things out there that are very speculative. I'm not saying to throw those out. Um, those could work in certain instances, but if you're looking for a way to filter things out, that's a very quick one. And so are there scientific studies that directly back those claims? Time or money is where number three comes in. So does it save time? For me, that's the question is because time is my greatest currency. And so, you know, does it save me time? Is it a novel piece of technology or is it an upgrade of current technology? Uh, what is the best of breed in this category? And so when we start talking about things like, I don't know, um, red light, wearable technology, whatever it is, there are usually best of breeds in this category that you can do a little bit of research on, whether it be through Reddit threads or actually looking at the scientific basis behind those technologies that you can understand what is sort of the best of breed in this field. I am a big fan of looking at quality control procedures uh, within a company. So it does take a little bit of extra work, but mm -hmm. emailing customer service um, and just starting to understand how the company uh, is really built around quality it makes a lot of sense. And if they don't respond, that tells you something about the company. Uh, will this technology, and I try to avoid technologies that are just sort of solo uh, focus uh, for now, will this technology be able to apply across multiple opportunities or problems that I may have? So let's take, for instance, um, something that is solely for uh, anxiety. You know, do I necessarily want that when I only have a certain amount of money in the bank or do I want the thing that's going to cover anxiety, sleep, all of the above, right? And then finally, the last question, which I've added just because of my lifestyle is, is the technology portable? And so if it's not portable, it becomes harder for me to keep in routines when I'm on the road. And so I, I really want portable technologies when it comes into my life. That is a great list, Boomer. Will that, I will make sure we get that written up and, yeah. uh, and something potentially put into a spreadsheet. So yeah, I, can, I mean, we can, um, we can definitely type it up for people because I spend a, like, look, I've spent way too much money 
and way too much time looking at a lot of things that have and have not worked. And over the course of time, I start to ask myself those questions. All right. If you're getting shown, it's just like being shown pitches uh, at a a venture capital firm, right? Like you get shown 10 to a hundred pitches a week. Well, how do you validate something in a couple of minutes? Mm. Well, okay, this is the mental checklist that I'm running through and it's just eight steps, yes or no. And if it checks all the boxes, then maybe you move it on to having a further conversation around it. Yeah. For me, there's another criteria, which is that this gives me a joy. So for example, my red light. That's it's so just, Mary Kondo of you. This <laughs> is just like the red light. It feels amazing, right? Yeah. Um, where many other things are kind of like, I don't really feel that difference. And I often get the question like, okay. I've got one right here. Oh, <laughs> most of my friends call it porn light. I'm not sure why. So yeah, well, it may be something due to, you know, what's happening down the street from me here in Amsterdam. So makes sense. Makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> but really like does does this feel good? Because yeah, can you feel there's many things in the health space that you don't really feel and it can be harder to actually figure out does it work or not. But if something actually does give me some kind of joy or I can feel it feels good, that's a criteria that I'm trying to put up because if it doesn't, it's harder for me to make it a habit. Especially yeah. if it takes time as you're talking to. Exactly. Right. And so adherence is such an important thing because you're going to buy this thing. You're going to spend anywhere between zero and several thousand dollars on it. And if you don't like it when you buy it, what are the chances are that you're going to actually use it and continue to use it when you have the device? And so you have all these people that go out and buy these $5,000 things and then they look the same a year later and you're like, what happened? And they're like, I didn't use it. Well, that was a waste of money. Yes. Yes. But we've probably all been there. It's a journey. Oh, oh, there's numerous things that are sitting around me right now that I can say I've gone there with it. So. I had the muse, which was giving me a lot of joy in the start. I really thought I was getting better at meditating. It's the muse too. And then I did a lot of research on neurofeedback and heard too many of the experts say it was crap. I was like, but yeah. it feels so good. But what some of them also did recognize was it is giving people something and helping them get more into a routine of meditating. Exactly. So take the muse, for instance, there, there is this evolution of process, right? Like we're all growing. And I know when I purchase a technology uh, that I have a very specific purpose for purchasing that technology. And that's sort of that checklist that I just went through there. Uh, But that purpose may over time change. Hmm. So the muse, I had muse one, I never even got to muse two because I got the Muse one when I was having trouble just adhering to meditation, but the biofeedback, the birds, you know, they're chirping in your ears and all of a sudden you get really excited about meditation and pretty soon it's a habit and oh my gosh, now I don't need the Muse anymore. Yes. And so it's an evolutionary process. It's not necessarily a bad thing to no. put down a technology and say like, hey, I, I don't need that right now. And I think it's just fair for the listeners to say like the Muse is this uh, thing you put on your head that yeah. uh, gives you some feedback on how your brain waves are and helps you get better at meditating. Mm-hmm. And so I also used to get more excited about meditating. Um, and then there's some questions about it. It uh, measures something in your prefrontal cortex or like your forehead and how much is it actually measuring in regards to meditation. But it is definitely measuring some and it, and it is helping a lot of people get into meditation. And they're getting yeah. better and better. I think they're in the fourth or the fifth version now. So it might be. Uh, it's, been, it's been a while since I checked in there, but like, you know, the biofeedback component, right? It's just, we're talking about building habits here fundamentally. 
and you know mad zero habit master but how like if you shorten the feedback loop to the point where you get birds Hmm. like that's just that's just helpful to incentivize you birds in a score help you to incentivize you to just keep doing it so what are some of your favorite biohacks oh I mean, we can go down multiple modalities. Do you want me to go down technologies or just like general things? If we can say two technology and two natural things. Okay. Um, Of the moment. So if you're watching this on video, you see me looking around my room because my home office is basically a laboratory right now. And um, so just sort of technologies, I'll do those first. Uh, Looking around, and I know you've had these guys on your podcast, Mads, uh, the blood flow restriction training bands. Mm. Um, You know, I I spend a decent amount of time working on um, several companies and Time is uh, obviously a currency that is harder to create, right? And so having the ability to get a good workout in that will help me build muscle um, in under 20 minutes, yeah, I'll take that all day long. So uh, the Be Strong is definitely, that's my one of my current technologies. The other technology is something I have around my ankle right now. And I've walked around Amsterdam wearing this and they've actually told me it looks like a probation bracelet. So it looks like I'm in jail is something called the Apollo Neuro. And so if you go back to that data set that we were talking about earlier, uh, when I go through my individual data set and like this thing is pretty robust because I've been building it over years and years, the thing that keeps coming back to me is that lifelong perfectionism and kind of dealing with something that looks a lot like anxiety and the Apollo neuro has this, it's a band and it vibrates to just really help manipulate your state. And I'm a big fan of just whatever it takes, just do it. And so, you know, I'm able to right now I have it set on clear and focused because I'm having a conversation with my friend Mads. Uh, but you know, later on, I'm going to have it on relax and unwind. And this thing, if you match it to a heart rate variability, which heart rate variability is just simply a measurement of the health of your nervous system, uh, heart rate variability device will improve your heart rate variability. So that's the two technologies. And you said two natural things. Hmm. Um, so this is something, you know, it's funny. I, the Japanese have been doing this for decades, but I didn't appreciate it until, you know, very recently because I've lived in cities most of my life, uh, basically since 18, New York, Singapore, now Amsterdam. Amsterdam is a very large village in many ways, but I live right near a park. And so spending time in nature or Shinrin Roku or however the Japanese pronounce it, right? Um, That has been game changing in terms of, again, I'm a big fan of being able to manipulate my state. I spend a lot of time doing work across time zones and there are times where I just need a break. And so I walk outside to the park and it immediately relaxes me. What they're actually doing there is it lowers lowers cortisol. Um, So spending time in nature would be the first thing that I think works well. Uh, The other thing is meditation. And, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier that I saw my mom meditating when I was like five or six years old. I didn't pick it up then because I thought it was just weird as shit. Like, why would anybody sit there and think about their thoughts for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, right? And um, it took me 
decades, <laughs> or actually a couple of decades later, to realize the importance of it. And I started mm. hearing it more and more in conversation. And if I had the data to map press cycles as I used to, I'm sure meditation got popular and popular. Um, you can probably look at Google keyword searches. Uh, but, you know, around about 10 years ago now, eight to 10 years ago, I started hearing it more and more and I eventually got into it. And so meditation to me is a way for me to become the general of my day. Mm. So rather than being subservient to my to-do list or email, which is even worse, then meditation certainly has helped me become a little bit more above the day. It's also given me the power of pause. And so rather than... Um, you know, typical trading floor banter can sometimes include ripping someone's head off uh, figuratively, not literally, in terms of cursing at them or whatever. Well, now I have that power of pause and that would have avoided those arguments. And think about how many times we say something stupid and it just ends up costing us more and more time later. Well, mm. I can categorically say that the return on time invested in meditation has paid off. So how do you meditate? Like Ooh. five minutes, 20 minutes, guided meditation. So, um, I, I do a mix of guided meditation and what some would call Vipassana. And so I've done, as you can probably hear or you know guess by now, I'm a pretty big experimenter. So initially when I got into meditation, what did I do? I listened to Stairway to Heaven and just tried to follow uh, Robert Plant's words when he was singing and I got about seven minutes into an eight minute and six second song. And I was like, Oh my God, I give up. Right. But I've tried everything from the muse, which we mentioned earlier to transcendental meditation. Yes. I paid the ridiculous fee that you pay to go get your mantra. Um, Is it good? I, I've considered it. I heard really good things about it, but uh... so let me tell you what's good about transcendental meditation. When we talk about habit building, Uh, one of the things that is useful in habit building, one of the things that's useful about having a coach is the idea of accountability. And so when you're just getting started at something, one of the things that I do with all my clients is set up something to measure because it allows them to, to track how they're doing. But also I try to set them accountable for checking in for certain things. With Transcendental Meditation, the benefit there for me was having the coaching sessions afterwards. So they go, they give you the mantra, they do this whole ceremony, which is a little bit weird. Sorry, it's 7.30 in Amsterdam right now, so my lights turn red. Not an indication of what I'm doing after no. this. Uh, don't, don't get any ideas. But um, so Red light district, you're living there? Or... <laughs> it's, it's in my house. No, I'm yes. just trying. So we just um, we just completely went off the rocker. Uh, anyways, uh, coming back. So meditation, uh, transcendental meditation specifically, what I valued of it was the uh, the accountability, the adherence to following a path. Now, what do I do now? I use a combination of a vipassana and a guided meditation app. The guided meditation app that I choose to use is Waking Up by Sam Harris. Hmm. I just enjoy, Sam is a neuroscientist by trade. And so he's going to explain stuff and it's going to be very, very nerdy. And I am sometimes a pretty nerdy person. And then the, so I like to understand the why behind the by and all that. And then the other thing that I do is more of a Vipassana meditation. And on a good day, I'll meditate three times in a day. And that's probably 20, 10, 20. But on most days, it's probably just two. Mm. So, you know, I spend 
quite a bit of time on meditation because I know that whatever I come back to afterwards, I will be there with that much more presence. And as a person who has once proclaimed you as the world, you know, I was a very good multitasker. I now realize that, especially in startup worlds, which you and I are both in, that focusing on a single task at any given time is truly gold. Mm. Full agree. Cool. Good things, Puma. Something to uh, apply out there. So change some tempo a little bit. Home hope and transcriptions. Tell us a little bit more about what that is. Sure. So such a good question and, and good good thing to bring up. So about a little over a year ago, now I had the chance to interview my now mentor on my podcast. And around that time, I was trying to build an operating model for human performance. After all, I'm a finance person. Finance people love Excel sheets. And I thought I had enough data on myself. So I'm going to sit here and try and just create the operating model for the human body, and which is a huge task. And then I got done talking. So I had Ted on the podcast and I got done talking to him. And I was like, he has a very elegant solution. And I wanted to learn from him. I was fortunate enough that he invited me out to the Philippines and asked me to become head of, of Europe for something called health optimization practice. And so there's a parent company above all of this called Smarter Not Harder Inc. And the parent company has a non-for-profit entity called Health Optimization Medicine Practice Association, which is a non-for-profit in the United States, uh, Australia, Europe, and a few are in the Philippines. And then there is a for-profit entity called Transcriptions. The nonprofit is is uh, focused on really educating doctors to optimize for health. And so why is that important? If you think about the word healthcare and how we use healthcare now, we don't necessarily go to the doctor because, you know, not all people are like you and me, Mads. We don't necessarily go to the doctor because we're feeling well. We don't necessarily go to the doctor because we just want to live at 120. We go to the doctor because we have some sort of symptom and we just want to get better. So you go to the doctor, you have a symptom, you get something and then you feel better. That looks a lot to me like disease management. And so health optimization medicine and practice is educating physicians and practitioners on how to optimize for health. And we do that predominantly through um, nutrient balancing as well as hormone balancing and if you're able to prescribe. And also there's various verticals of that education platform, things like chronobiology, bioenergetics, evolutionary medicine, etc. Cool. I had the pleasure to talk to Ted as well. And it's a wealth of he is a wealth of knowledge. I could talk to that man for hours and actually get the pleasure of doing that quite often. So that is pretty fantastic. Mm. And transcriptions. Yes, of course. Can't leave out Big Blue. Or no. It's big, blue, big Blue right now, but its uh, official colors are actually turquoise. And so if you look at health optimization medicine and practice, just to give you that framework there, what I mentioned at the end was something called nutrient balancing and hormone balancing. So we do a rigorous amount of testing to figure out what nutrients that you need, and we balance you in a network-like fashion because we know things like vitamin A and vitamin D and vitamin K are all connected, we make sure that you're balanced. Now that process doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you get injected or take a pill and things change. It can take three to six months. But oftentimes there's something that a client is experiencing when they come to you and they need a solution very, very quickly. 
And so Transcriptions was created with that in mind, is sort of how do we provide a nutraceutical stopgap, if you will, so that people coming with either issues with focus, short-term memory, um, or anxiety, pain, and insomnia have a solution. And so transcriptions um, is the for-profit arm of the non-for-profit. Uh, and the first two products that have come out of there are predominantly cognitive enhancing. So there's something called blue canatine and just blue. Uh, blue canatine is comprised of methylene blue, nicotine, caffeine, and hemp crystals, uh, beautifully derived, as we like to say. And the just blue is all, you know, methylene blue. And so that's the first of the two, that's the first two products to come out of transcriptions. In the future, we will be producing uh, both. Uh, THC and non-THC products to deal with common ailments uh, facing society. So if you think of transcriptions as... Can you say what THC is? Sure. So uh, THC refers to a cannabinoid, uh, which is essentially the psychoactive component when people think of of marijuana. And so um, Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol is the official name but uh, when we're saying we're releasing thc products it goes back to transcription's uh, ultimate purpose besides providing that stopgap to home hope uh, what it actually does is it we are precision dose cannabis company and we're very focused on you know endocannabinoid deficiency and making sure that people have enough endocannabinoids and so when we're tackling um, areas like pain sleep and anxiety, sometimes those ingredients will include the psychoactive component of cannabis, uh, which is Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol. So uh, that is what THC is. And, you know, you can see that we will come out with products that will feed both that market, but also the broader consumer market pretty soon. So I'm really excited about this. Super interesting. And I think that's a full podcast in itself. I definitely want to do oh, something on nootropics and so we on. Can, we can do things on nootropics. We can go into the endocannabinoid system. There is a lot we can get into there, Mads. Yes, that is probably several episodes in itself. <laughs> but I, I really like Ted's kind of... One of the big things he was like, you shouldn't take nootropics before you balance your health. You need to yeah. make sure that your health is balanced and then you can start doing nootropics. And I really like hearing that from someone that's formulating nootropics, that it's not just like, take a lot of this stuff. And you talked about the potential dangers if if your health is not in balance. Yeah, and it's um it's important, right? And I'll try and rattle these off and sometimes I, I miss one or two, but I, you know, Ted likes to say, you know, eat well, sleep well, sun well. Uh, what is it? I think Supplement I said fuck well. well. Yeah, so so I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You missed the pun. You just you smashed the punchline. So uh, pun intended there. Um, but so eat well, sleep well, stress well, move well, sun well, so that you can fuck well. Um, and I think I must drink well. Um, and so you know, it, it's just he. It's a very good point, right? Because if you try to, if you try to. Um, launch some let's say you tried to launch a rocket and all of the pieces weren't in place what happens to the rocket well you may get lucky and it goes up uh but it may also explode in your face Mm. 
And the true, I mean, the same is true in some ways for nootropics, right? Like you can, you can use those as a mechanism for healing in some instances, but you're only going to take the cell to its maximum possible capacity. And if that maximum possible capacity is only 50 or 25%, who knows what the long-term implication is there. And mm. so, you know, building your foundations and making sure that your health is not just a house of cards is a great way to to get started in that nootropic arena i think that's a, a good ending point on the tropics before we go into the full episode on that but time is running boom where can people find out more about you so me specifically decoding superhuman so throw that in the google machine it's yes. something that i've been in doing for you know, a couple of years now. I have a lot of fun getting to talk to people like my friend Mads here all the time, but you can check that out. Yeah. Instagram, LinkedIn, well, should people go look you um, up? So Instagram and LinkedIn are my two most active ones. Um, I've been, I, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've been trying to, uh, writing and becoming a better writer is a focus of mine. Mm. And so when I produce stuff for social media, which I don't do often, uh, because I also want to contribute to the signal rather than the noise, mm. um, you can see a lot of it on Instagram or LinkedIn. Perfect. And then you're also involved in other projects, but that might yeah. be uh, for another time. You are instrumental in building Goldium, which is helping practitioners with uh, getting the right supplements for their patients. Yeah, well, Goldium's a, a, a fantastic company, right? Like if you think about patient adherence as being uh, tantamount to success and positive outcomes, uh, one of the best ways to increase adherence is to ensure that the patient has access to the right supplements. And so mm. WellDM provides that for practitioners so that you don't have to send people 15 freaking links because every link you send them is the chance that they're not going to order it. Yes, indeed. So Boomer, before we round off, any last advice for the listeners? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's such a good question because you can go so many different ways uh, be curious and question everything because taking people's advice is one thing but trust don't verify or sorry trust but verify <laughs> you should you should definitely verify and so you know be curious and question everything those are golden boomer Thank you so much for this conversation. We could have continued for hours, but uh, trying to keep the format, um, we'll have to end it here. But thank you so much for sharing. This has been super valuable for me, and I'm sure the listeners feel the same. My man, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.